places like Liquorland, uh, the person always says hi to you, and in my case, it's a bit more cordial, and a bit, a bit, because uh, I go in so much. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, this one time I was walking into Liquorland, and I noticed that the attendant, like, she didn't even acknowledge me as I walked in, and it's hard oh, not no. to, considering when you walk in, like, it's sirens so go off almost as if you've already stolen something. I know. And, and like, so I turn, and I see, because she, she's looking right through me, I, I don't, it's like, damn, that's a weird feeling I haven't had in a while, looking right through me. I know, it would have been. So I turn my head, and I see some poor bastards dropped an entirely, perfectly good punnet of strawberries, all over the floor of Liquorland, just all over, constantly. And it's like, you want to help the poor guy. It's like, oh, that sucks, man, you, you spill your strawberries. And then you remember, you can't touch this man's strawberries. You're in a pandemic. you got to stay a meter and a half a away pandemic, from him. Yeah. It, felt, mm -hmm. it was so weird. Anyway, bad vibes all over. I bought the worst bottle of wine that I've ever tasted. Of so. course you bought the worst bottle of wine, but it's also a testament to how am I thinking probably have a drinking problem, Nick. I don't have a drinking problem, I just like drinking. You probably have a drinking problem. Maybe you should, you know, seek therapy? <laughs> I, you need a therapist. Uh, you know what alcoholic actually says that, though? Who who says that? Marty! Marty, yes! That was a, that was a Marty quote. Yeah, Marty from Seven Psychopaths, the film that we're going to be talking about today. So, yeah, he does say that. Now, Nick, as film student, I know that you related very hard to the film that you recommended. Too hard. Too hard. <laughs> Way too hard, Nick. So, what you, what do you think of it? Oh, I love it. Uh, well, not love, but I uh, very much enjoy it. I appreciate uh, so many aspects mm -hmm. of it. But we'll, we'll get to that at the end. What did you think of it? What did I think of Seven Psychopaths? I actually really liked the film. Um, I really thought it was, I thought it was really nice. Really funny. It was very meta. Um, but yeah, but Seven Psychopaths, if you, the audience doesn't know, it's a film we're going to be talking about today. So Seven Psychopaths is a 2012 film by Martin Donner, the writer and director of In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It centers around Marty, an alcoholic writer, attempting to write a screenplay. I know, very original. Stephen King wants to know your location. <laughs> he, so he's writing about seven so-called psychopaths. Things aren't going great for Marty, though, who is suffering from a case of writer's block, so severe that he doesn't even know who his seven psychopaths are. But it gets even worse when his friend Billy accidentally steals a violent mob boss's dog called Bonnie. The mob boss or the dog? Which one's Bonnie? Nick, you recommended this film. You know that Bonnie's the dog, and it's Charlie that's the mob boss. Among a host of other fun, wacky characters, you've also got Hans... Billy's partner in Dog Stealing Crime. Now, there's a lot to talk about thematically with this film, and mm -hmm. I know I've come at it, like, as a writer who is a bit of an mm -hmm. alcoholic. Yeah, of and course. you've come at it as an academic, so this conversation... That's a bit debatable. Um, you put Judith Butler in the script. <laughs> I, I did, um, but I digress. I digress. That's, that's academic. <laughs> Now, it's been described as a violent critique of violence, with more layers mm -hmm. than an onion. 
But what I want to start with is how McDonough describes his film within itself, through Marty talking about his script. Because Marty says, near the start, I'm sick of all these stereotypical Hollywood murderous scumbag-type psychopath movies. I don't want it to be one, one more film about guys with guns in their hands. I want it, overall, to be about love and peace. And that's the first thing you notice when it comes to their writing. It's, it's its self-reflexivity. First, you have all these, like, plot developments and meta lines where the characters are basically becoming McDonough's mouthpiece to tell you. This is what I, the director, is trying to achieve here. Mm -hmm. And because it's a comedy, it actually, like, I felt like it added, like, a lot to the humour instead of, like, coming off as pretentious. Like, you know when yeah, films really sometimes true. get meta and it's just like, okay, stop wanking. Yeah, definitely. It's incredibly meta and self-reflexive. It's one of my favourite parts of the film as well. It's so engaging because it recognises and satirises these ideas. Mm -hmm, exactly. And one more thing I find really interesting is a term called repetitive retraction, which was coined by writing professor Devin Donovan. Now, basically, it's stating an idea and then ironically retracting it, thus reinforcing the idea. What? Huh? <laughs> I know, I know. Anyways... Completely fine to be confused, I was as well. Like, for example, Nick, tell me an offensive joke. Okay, but the one I've got here is, like, only offensive to white boomers and Gen Xs, which is okay because Spotify tells me that most of our listeners are, like, 20. Alright. So, my girlfriend wanted me to treat her like a princess for Valentine's Day. So I took her out, got her drunk, and crashed the car. <laughs> now, did you see what I did there? I pretended to laugh at your joke to give you affirmation, but I'm also going to say that what you said was offensive and that you shouldn't say that at all because it's politically incorrect. And it's also factually incorrect because I don't have a girlfriend. Yes, that too. But that's what McDonough does in Seven Psychopaths. Billy says something homophobic or sexist and Marty plays the white knight and tells him off. So by placing something that is visibly offensive into the diegesis and then retracting it, it inspires laughter, erasing the offensive connotation of that joke. Also, side note, these repetitive retractions often expose the artificial hegemony of masculinity into the forefront. For example, homophobia, sexism, racism, and ableism. But we'll talk about that later. And, mm -hmm, and this is sort of where we get from how McDonough expresses the themes into the actual themes of the film themselves. Like, you mentioned homophobia, sexism, racism, ableism, and what better example of that than Billy? That's right, Billy Boy! He reminds you of that one weird white kid in your history class who makes holocaust jokes when you learn about World War II, but then later on when you call him out, he'll say that you're threatening his right to free speech. Like, that's kind of dumb, and Hayden, if you ever listening to this, I just want to say that you radiated small dick energy, and I hope you don't produce children in the future. Sorry, I started. I, I definitely sidetracked wow. a bit there. Sorry about that, Nick. I, I can see that. Yeah, fuck you, Hayden. Um, but like, I'm yeah, guessing unlike Hayden, because we all knew a Hayden. <laughs> like, we all knew a Hayden. But unlike them, Billy's actually funny. Mostly because you're meant to laugh at him as opposed to with him. Like, he's amongst the funniest characters in the film, which is an achievement because this is a hilarious film. Uh, but it's. From his outlandishness that is so ridiculous that errs into offence, which is reprimanded by the people around him. You know, unlike in high school when you would just laugh nervously. Yeah, that's true. Like, I did pretend to laugh because Hayden was actually really weird, and I didn't want him to kill me in my sleep, you know? 
<laughs> uh, yeah, you, they, they always have these weird school shooter vibes, and it makes you really glad you're not yeah, American. They do. I know. Thank God. Actually, speaking of Americans, I found that Billy also tended to be representative of the American audience, who, you know, they don't know what they want, they can't produce anything better, and they just want violence. They just want pure bloodlust that ignores thematic and character consistency. And they don't want to analyze. They don't want to actually look into... They don't want to think about it. They, they, they have one shared brain cell in that country. They don't want to use it. Yeah, they do have one shared brain cell, Nick. Anyways, many film reviewers critique Bogdana's work and Seven Psychopaths for endorsing masculine rage and unleashing offensive ideologies such as homophobia and etc. So perhaps, Nick, I bring you an avant-garde approach that Billy Bickle is meant to embody the bigoted viewpoints ah. in order to expose them for ridicule and urge self-reflection about why we identify and accept them. Maybe, just maybe, Nick. It's a hot take. That's a hot take. Actually, it's sort of like, you know how Billy just loves Marty's original Vietnamese psycho? But you, the audience, isn't meant to root for that tits-out version of the story. Like, you're meant to root for the emotional height, that emotional yeah, peak, that emotional climax of the film. When you hear, like, Hans walk away into the mm. desert, and you hear mm. him with his little tape recorder, and you hear his criticisms, and the alternate take on the Vietnamese psycho that actually enriches the character Definitely. of the Vietnamese man thematically, as opposed to Billy's just blind support for the sexual and violent aspects of the story. Yeah, that's actually quite true. Now, let's talk about the Vietnamese mini-story for a bit. It's interesting because half of my family is Vietnamese and I grew up with the culture, so this is something that is important to me. Also, can I just say, I frop anybody that is Asian on screen, like that is how little representation we get, but my opinion on it is kind of weird. Like, I appreciate the angle, but the story of a Vietnamese man seeking revenge from the American war crimes doesn't really sit right with me. Perhaps it's like the weird Hollywood exploitation of Vietnamese pain and suffering just to benefit the white story and character. However, I definitely understand and get it between the themes of love and violence. I mean, there's a really meta line that McDonough uses in the film. I don't want it to be violent, I want it to be life-affirming, and that's said by Marty. Yeah, I mean... You could argue one of two things. Like, if you wanted to be generous, you can say that it's a reflection of Marty as a writer. Well, apparently he's a good writer, but, like, when you see Marty's raw material, it's not that, like, it's not that excellent. So you could say that it's a reflection of that, and it's a reflection of Marty, the character's racial bias. Like, he doesn't, he also doesn't come up with either of the black women that feature in The Seven Psychopaths. Like, both Maggie and Myra are individuals that are supplied to Marty by other people telling him stories. So you could say that it's, like, him, or the more pessimistic and maybe more realistic perspective is that it's McDonough's racial bias playing into his script. Or, big brain time, maybe it's McDonough making mm. another commentary mm. on the American audience and how they perceive the Vietnamese-American war. Galaxy big, brain. Big brain big galaxy brain moment. Not just the racial bias, but I also just realized that McDonald uses hypermasculinity in a really interesting way. Like, authors Mosher and Serkin outline three characteristics of this condition that apply to his macho criminals and cops and the characters that appear in his films. Like the first, the view of violence as manly. The second, the perception of danger as exciting and sensational. Third, 
the callous behaviour towards women and a regard towards emotional displays as feminine. Mon, I'm not coming at this as an academic. Also, Mon, the author's Moshe. <laughs> I'm not an academic, though. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's sort of like uh, displaying toxic masculinity in a way. Like, masculinity as a concept, very oofed ideology. Masculinity in of itself is essentially performative. In Gender Trouble, Judith Butler, my icon, oh my god, I want them to step on me, theorizes gender as the repeated stylization of the body, a set of repeated acts within a highly rigid regulatory frame that congeal over time to produce the appearance of substance of a natural sort of being. Judith Butler. Judith Butler. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have some opinions on that. <laughs> You know, one may identify as a man without truly accomplishing masculinity. Now, Nick, you might know a thing or two about that. Ow! Dude, like, I know my brother's a wimp, but you don't have to attack him on the pod like this. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Nick. Who else could you be talking about? Oh no, I know. Now, speaking of the gender binary, that psycho label defers to men. The female psychos are actually not created by Marty. Their examples told to him by external actors such as Hans and Zach telling him about Myra and Maggie respectively. You've heard about the psycho thing too. Even the male characters in the films must accomplish masculinity and therefore by staging and removing hypermasculinity in Seven Psychopaths. Like, McDonough suggests an alternate form of masculinity that allows men to connect with others and exercise their emotional range. Yeah, like Billy and Marty. Low-key, though. Bros before hoes. Uh, yo. Bros before hoes. <laughs> like, not even low-key. Like, there's a really touching moment near the end of the film when Billy and Marty say that they love each other. And that's two men in cinema saying that they love each other as friends. But they don't have to qualify that part. They don't have to say, I love you as a friend, hashtag no homo. There's trust that you know there's no homo. You know it's a platonic love. And in a way, it's actually a reflection of Aristotle's highest level of philia, an ancient Greek word that is loosely translated as brotherly love. Yes, Aristotle. 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 <laughs> and Phil. <laughs> platonic love between a couple of bros. Very, very wholesome indeed. Now, we've been talking about hegemonic masculinity, but now, just for a moment, let's remove ourselves from reality and go to a made world where the gender binary actually exists. And let's... Wow, that sounds horrifying. I know, and let's flip this to the other side of the coin and talk about women. <gasps> Thank fuck! I love talking about women. I know you do, and I love talking about women as well. Women are amazing. They're powerful. Now, while I was doing research for this, the very first article that I came across was a feminist critique of female characters in this film and how Seven Psychopaths points out recurring issues in crime films related to the representation of women. This author argued that it does very little to fix it within its own narrative. Uh, the author remarks that despite the film's self-referentiality, its depiction of women is still offensive. Now that line is the the author is referring to is Hans's, where he says to Martin, and I am not going to impersonate Christopher Walken, because nobody can do that except Christopher Walken. I'm just going to say the line. Your women characters are awful. None of them have anything to say for themselves, and most of them either get shot or stabbed to death within five minutes, and the ones that don't probably will later on. Now you'd think that this line was like done intentionally as like another jab, you know? 
as a self-critique, tongue-in-cheek thing, but, like, in an interview, McDonough himself actually said that he kind of added that line in as, like, a throwaway get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm, but to disprove that, you just need to look at the female characters in the movie, though. The first female character we see is Kaya, who's basically just an average person, like, she's just a rational person, and although she's vilified by Billy, which we've established that Billy is a bad person who we're not supposed to agree with, she does have something to say for herself, though. And she doesn't really end up shot, although she does disappear half an hour into the film after she dumps Marty. Yeah, and then, like, you've got the one-scene wonders of Charisse, the woman who loses Charles's dog, Maggie, and Angela, uh, Charles's girlfriend, who is cheating on him with Billy. If you've noticed, the only person out of the three to actually live up to Han's quote is Angela who spends her entire scene in her underwear before getting shot. The men in her life treat her like shit. Billy accuses her of having STDs before shooting her without thinking as an act of revenge for Charles's killing of Myra. But then, Charles doesn't even flinch when she dies and he admits later that he didn't really like her that much. In her scene, she actually does act like a normal person. I mean, Sure, she's dating a mobster and cheating on him with Billy, but her actions within her scene are all pretty rational and human, and justified as well. She's a good character that just so happened to die pretty quickly. Yeah, not, not even to mention Myra. Like, she's a brilliant, strongly written character who just hap so happens to die, but she has a few more scenes than Angela. I know, right? She has way more scenes than Angela. I think the biggest problem with female characters in Seven Psychopaths, the film, isn't the same as the problem with female characters in Marty's Seven Psychopaths. You know, with the sex worker coming out of the bathroom, tits out and everything. Yeah, exactly. It's not that the characters are overly sexual, flat one-note objects who then die sooner or later. It's that when you do see violence in this movie against women, it's basically always an act of revenge by proxy. Women are killed by men for the sins of their male counterparts. Yeah, and I feel like you, you get me. Like, if you want to make a feminist critique of this film, that's perhaps the more nuanced take, is that not that women are represented horribly, it's that women are facing the consequences for the men, and they are uninvolved in the wrongdoings of the men that they die for. And so if you want to critique this through a fe feminist lens, the way I would go about it is examining that sort, that sort of aspect, as opposed to, eh, boobs, shot. It's interesting that we're having this discussion in regards to the portrayal of women being criticised in this film, because when McDonough's follow-up was three billboards, with what I would say is one of the strongest female protagonists I've ever seen in mainstream American cinema. I just want to spend some time gushing about the things that we both love and appreciate about this film. Like, I let's start off with the cinematography. Oh wow. Cinematography is beautiful, like the landscape is amazing. Dare I say it, the city of Los Angeles is almost another protagonist in the film. Wow, that is the most film student thing that you've said so far, Nick. Yeah, I'm going to shoot myself now. Oh my god, please <laughs> do that. Please shoot yourself and shoot me after. Speaking of shooting ourselves, that scene where Angela gets killed it's it's gorgeous like i everything on in that like little i want to say 20 second segment it's just all on point it's marvelous mm, yeah definitely. you've got the use of camera movement you've got the score in the back oh my god can we talk about the score jeez the score is amazing like i love the score even though like i don't know majority of the songs that are in the score 
I really just love it because it fits with the vibe so well. Yeah. Actually, like, I don't even listen to any of these, like, songs because I'm not white. <laughs> no, I am white. I'm very white. And none of this is music that I would listen to, but it's all just so fitting and just used so well. Like, it's so different from, like, Christopher Nolan and David Fincher and how they mm. use those drones and those, like, kind of, you know, those kind of sounds, you know what I mean? Hans Zimmer, would you like another foghorn in your score? Except we've added the bass to 11 on your foghorn, would you like that? No, Mr. Nolan, I would like you to actually make a very good film instead of just average films. Too bad, foghorn. Hot take. Hot takes with Nick. <laughs> Hot take. Christopher Nolan is not really a great director. Ooh, I said it. <laughs> But yeah, um, going back to Angela. I just really like it, and I feel like it fits the character well. It's almost like, you know, oh, of course you know Edgar Wright. Of course I know Edgar Wright. It almost sort of feels like that similar style. Mm, definitely. And I love it. And uh, Yeah, so let's talk about one of your favourite shots in the film, the Pieta shot. So something I like to notice in films is a recreation of Michelangelo's sculpture, the Pieta. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. It's Italian, and I don't care. Yeah, like, Italians are fine, but the French suck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hate Italians. They're not that bad. I like them. Yeah, but the French, though, Nick. Fuck. Let's, let's not start. Let's not talk about the French. <laughs> let's not start with the French. We're let's not, not going to talk about, about the French. French but... No, we've only got listeners from America and Australia. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no French listeners. If you have any French listeners here... Please leave. Can I block France from listening to I hope this? you can. <laughs> I hope you can. <laughs> so if you don't know that sculpture by name, it, you'll probably know it as the one where Mary is holding Jesus after he's been taken down from the cross and, like, you know, fully grown man in the woman's lap. And it's actually just basically an iconic pose for loss and mourning. Like, they even do it in Star Wars. They, they fucking do it in Star Wars. And not even one of the good ones. Oh, they do no. it in the Star Wars sequel I actually haven't trilogy. seen the sequels. I haven't seen any of the Star Wars sequels at all. Or any of the Star Wars films. That that one was for Khan. Oh, Khan, if you're listening. I, I, I put that in for you. <laughs> they even do it in Star Wars. And where you see it in this movie is when Hans has found Myra after Charlie shoots her in the head. And it starts by showing, it, the shot starts by showing her blood splattered on the wall all over the wooden crucifix. And then it's just that pan down, Hans holding Myra's dead body. And it's just so understated that it's beautiful. Like, it isn't really drawing too much attention to itself, but it's still like an excellent shot. I, I, when I saw it, I thought it was very beautiful. Obviously, I did not analyze it like you did. I just thought he was very visually aesthetic but Hans is a Hans is a Quaker isn't he? Yeah he's a Quaker which is a sect of Christianity it's not Catholic um it's a Protestant branch so one of the boring ones. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken fucking great I love Let's him. Let's talk about Christopher Walken he is an amazing actor. I read an article where Christopher Walken was talking about like his acting uh style and he's like yeah, I just ignore the punctuation. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but I'm like, that is what he does. That is how he talks. Fair enough. I do the exact same thing. Speaking of Christopher Walken, you know when you get to a party and you see those guys that always 
do accents in the back of the room and they only know how to do like two accents. One of them is Christopher Walken. The other is Gollum from Lord of the Rings and they only do those accents to impress you. And it's not even good. And I don't understand why these guys do that. But apparently they think that they're different and quirky. But honestly, you're not. You're See, just at first I dumb. thought you were talking about me. Then I realized that I I am so terrible at accents that I will never attempt them in front of more than two people. And those two people have to be sworn to silence after the fact. Speaking of people who always play themselves and always act in roles that are very like to themselves, Woody Harrison. I feel like Woody Harrison is such a fucking legend because he only plays lunatics and heretics. Like, he is insane. And I love that man because he is such a nutcase. And I stand that. I stand mm. a man who is an absolute lunatic. And he is just the type of man who's just not give a <laughs> fuck. And you know what? I love that. I read that this was going to go to Mickey Rock or something. The role of Charles was going to go to him, but I think he turned it down. I don't know. It's really? in an article that will be in the description below. But then Woody Harrelson got the call, and then Mickey Rourke later said, he did a much better job than I ever could have. I know, right? And the most interesting thing is, Mickey Rourke is probably still in the wrestler mindset. Like, I feel like when he played that, when he was in that film, he just, like, never, ever, like, I never seen him in anything else, and he's just never evolved from the wrestler. And, yeah, like, it's really interesting. I can't imagine seeing Mickey Rourke in any other film, especially in Seven Psychopaths. Sam Rockwell is an absolute legend. I think he is amazing. Like, he is seriously an underrated actor. And he's played, and he's done so many roles, but he is just such a chameleon. Like, you can't know what he's going to do next, and that's why I love him. He is amazing as Billy Bickle in Seven Psychopaths. I absolutely adore him, even if he's a racist, a homophobe, an ableist. Like, I don't care because he's just so likable and just so memorable. Yeah, he plays just such this, this really bubbly, energetic, and he's jumping all over the place. He's like a kid in a fully, fully grown man's body. I do love Sam Rockwell. He, Sam Rockwell really rocks my world. Mm. Like, I saw this film for the first time ages ago, back in, like, 2014. And the one scene that I always remembered was the, put your hands up, no. That, that still cracks me up. Yeah, but I thought the film was really amazing. I had so much fun with it. I've never really seen it before until this year. So I actually thought it was really smart. And it's a pretty good film by an Irish guy. And a white man, nonetheless. And I enjoyed it. It so, was the reason I rewatched yeah. it earlier this year. And uh, I think when I was 14, I didn't quite get most of the humour. Because that no scene... I think it's the funniest scene in the film still. But, like, I, I only ever laughed at that one when I found myself just laughing throughout the whole film this time. I, I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> Next week, we'll be discussing the greatest film to ever come out of Netflix. I'm now, I wish it was part of the Criterion Collection because we're going to be talking about The Kissing Booth.
What? Starring <laughs> that girl, Joey King, and no. the guard from St. Kevin's College, who's now no. dating Zendaya, and I... No! I just wish she was dating me. Anyways, oh, it's about no. a couple of rich white high school kids doing rich white <laughs> high school kids stuff. I can't even relate to it, even if I tried. Now, this film also made me want to end this my life by smashing my head into a sink 34 times. So, what? haha, it's going to be great. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for tuning in to As a Film Student. I hope you enjoyed our vast discussions of how much Sam Rockwell is amazing and really rocks my world. And how white men sometimes can make good stuff. But you didn't hear from me. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a cool life. This is Mon. And this is Nick. Signing off. Don't forget to give us a follow on your preferred podcasting platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, and Radio Public. And we are just waiting on that approval from the big G himself. And while you're doing that, you can mosey on down to Facebook and give As A Film Student a like. Go see Mon's inspiring adminning of our Instagram at As Film Student Pod, or more of Nick's bad Twitter jokes on Twitter at As Film Student, and see our latest activity on Letterboxd, where we're As Film Student. All the links are in the description, and if you see my will to live down there, let me know.